friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Welcome to Skyline. Uh, I'm Jonathan, one of the pastors here. We are continuing our series through the stories of revival in the Bible, and we'll be going till the end of the year. It's really fun. So now we've moved into some stories of the New Testament, which should be really fun. Our first one is John the Baptist. So if you've got your Bible, open to Matthew 3. Matthew 3, and I think that's the right one. Matthew 3. John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Uh, John was super crunchy before that was a thing. Um... Anybody? No? Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming out to meet him, he said to them, you brood of vipers, what a way to greet somebody, (laughs) who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So I I just say, if you think the preaching at Skyline is challenging. Just be glad John the Baptist is not the preacher here. It's like, you brood of vipers. That's his opening statement. It's awesome. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as a father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after, is, after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire." John is coming in hot. I mean, like, you talk about an entrance onto the scene. But it's fascinating because, again, I think what we've seen in these stories of revival and what we've seen of God's past works across history is that they are so relevant to the days we live in. Because if I'm honest with you, I think there's an ax at the root of the American church right now. I think God's saying, listen, I'm ready for my church to be about me, to be about my work, to be about my name. I'm ready to renew some things, and I want to test the fruit. And if the fruit's not good, I'm willing to start over. I'm willing to renew again. I'm willing to call a new generation to the work of repentance and humility and of the Holy Spirit baptizing a group of people and sending them to the nations. God's like, 
I, 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 this is my plan. And so I just see that today. I see the seriousness of this passage for us today as Christians, but I also see the hopefulness. God's like, I'm at work. The kingdom's at hand. There is a way for you to get in on what I'm doing, and everyone's invited. Isn't that cool? This isn't about anything you do. This is about what I do. But there's something kind of fundamentally in this passage, just to start, that I think is so important. And here's what John shows up saying. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand, and you aren't ready for it. (laughs) You aren't ready. Whatever you knew before, whatever you did before, whatever your life was before this moment, it hasn't actually done anything to prepare you for what God wants to do in your life. You have to actually repent You have to start over. You have to turn around. This is something completely new. Completely new, right? So that's why repentance is the beginning of the kingdom of God, because you can't get the kingdom of God with your old way of life. You have to come into something new. I love this quote from a commentary. He says this, repentance is not limited to the emotional, right, sorrow over sin, or the etymological intellectual, right? The change of mind just in your head or the temporal, right? Initial conversion, just the moment of getting saved or volitional, right? Your will, doing penance. These dimensions are often stressed in popular definitions and they're often narrowed into that one thing. All you gotta do is change your mind about your life and God's like, oh good, you're good, right? No, he says, although all of these contain elements of the truth, repentance is more than the combination of all of them. It's the turning of the whole person from sin to God in obedience. I love that. Turning of the whole person from sin to God in obedience to the message of the kingdom, which is the reality. God is breaking in with the real, and he's saying the only way you can get in on what's actually real is to repent to turn. This entails recognition of need, sorrow for sin, a decision to turn from sin to God, and the subsequent obedient lifestyle, right? So if you do all of those things, but the last thing, the obedient lifestyle, you haven't actually repented, right? And we've all seen this happen in our own lives and in other people's lives where we admit that we're wrong, we say I've repented, and yet we go back and do the same thing. Well, the Bible would say you haven't repented, until you've turned around and gone the other direction. What you've done is is valuable in some ways, but you've got to finish the work. Your life has to change, your lifestyle, right? The things of your life. And this is what Jesus is doing in the gospel. So Matthew five through seven is basically Jesus reprogramming the disciples to understand what the kingdom of God looks like. So what does he say? He keeps saying, you've heard it said, right? You've learned it one way, but I'm going to tell you another way. You're going to have to learn my way, and it's about like, like murder, and it's about oaths, and it's about money, and it's about anger, and it's about judgment. He said all these things. You've heard it said, it's okay to repay evil with evil, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you now, no not in my kingdom. And it's fascinating to me that the people who come out to John the Baptist to hear him preach and get baptized are godly people and ungodly people. And the message is the same to all of them. He doesn't preach one to the godly people. It's like, hey, good news for you. Your church attendance and your giving and your reading of the Bible has started you off at like a seven out of 10. These other sinners, they're at a zero, so they really got to work. And he's like, no, no, no. All of you are at the same place because none of you understand the king that is coming. This one who's coming after me who will baptize 
with the Holy Spirit and with fire, who actually is the Lord of everything, of all creation, of the things over the earth and under the earth and on the earth, like everything will be submitted to this man. And so, godly and ungodly, your choice is the same. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here now, which is a big shift. If you know anything about Jewish theology and Jewish history, they would have two, two different zones, right? They would call this, this is uh, for anybody who loves Jewish um, cultural stuff in the Bible. So you'd have the Alam Hazayah, which is the kingdom of now. It's the world that we live in, and you have the Olam Haba, which is the world to come, the age to come. Someday in the resurrection, God will be king. And you'll see, I love the, the vision of the future of paradise in the Jewish mindset was every man and wife under his own vine and fig. Peace in the land, on the land, with God at the center. That's paradise. But that's someday out there. So we're living here, there's the future. And then John the Baptist comes up and says, hey, guess what? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. And what God wants to do is he wants to merge those two in this little place on earth. Something has shifted in terms of what's happening and it makes you reframe everything you do because if you believe in the two separate zones, what you do is you give yourself over to the ethical life and you try to gain as many credits on this side that will someday transfer to the other side that will make you worthy or allow you access to the kingdom. And it's fascinating to me how many Christians fall into this way of being, which is the old covenant. It's, it's the earning, it's the credit system, it's the righteousness through your own actions. And you'd say, if I'm just honest and hardworking and tell the truth and treat my employees well and stay married, if I do all these things, I'll be worthy someday to enter in to the kingdom of God. And John the Baptist announces this fresh new way that Jesus actually comes and fulfills, which says actually what God wants to do is he wants to bring the life of the age to come into the here and now. We, we're bringing heaven to earth. We're not trying to get to heaven someday through our works. We actually want to bring what's there here. So Jesus prays this prayer. He says, your kingdom come where? On earth as it is in heaven. I want to see you, Father, work on the earth as I know you to be in heaven. Jesus knew the Father. He knew his power. He knew his character. He's like, God, I want you to bring all those things that exist in this realm. I want you to bring them to bear on the earth in a fresh new way. And we'll call it the kingdom of God. So how does this tie in? This ties in because uh, repentance, what John's calling us to do, actually prepares us for resurrection life. Resurrection life is the kingdom of God here and now. It's the things that Jesus says are available to us now that we don't have to wait until heaven to grasp or to live and experience. But what repentance does is it opens up our life to receive. And here's the point. You don't gain or grasp or achieve the kingdom of God. You receive it. <laughs> That's why Jesus says childlike faith is such a key. What do children do? Children expect to receive from the people who love them. And they come to you and say, Daddy, do you have anything for me? Right? If you go on a trip right? You come back, what's the first thing they say to you after they say, I love you, I miss you, you're so important. It's like, did you bring me anything? 
right? Because it's this beautiful expectation that this person who I love, who is foremost, I'm foremost on their mind, they must be thinking about me their entire trip, about how to love me, please me, honor me, bless my life. So when you show back up, you will probably have something for me. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful state of being, an expectation of blessing, to know that to live under God's rule is to receive blessing from the Father. This expectation and repentance allows us to get out of the here and now, to get out of our stuff, to get out of our way, and to get into God's way to receive the kingdom of God. This gift that God has for us. It's really important because um, Repentance, this message is also really important because the kingdom of God came aimed not at the land or at Rome, but at their hearts, right? He said, this isn't about me taking over a physical kingdom. This isn't about me dethroning the physical. It's about me bringing this to you in your heart that the kingdom of God would come to bear in your life. And I think this is so important for today because I think so much of our work today is trying to change human systems and so little work trying to change human hearts. It's almost as if we've given up on the persuasion of the gospel of the kingdom of God to change individual lives. And, and Greg Dewey, don't hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> I'm not saying we don't try to change systems, but if we try to change systems without training, trading, uh, 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 changing systems without changing hearts, we're literally going to be, I mean, we're gonna struggle with so much failure. So much resistance because the kingdom of God comes in the heart first. And then as hearts change, systems have to change because the people who are in those systems are changed. And our, our problem with the kingdom of God is not that it doesn't work, but that it's slow. It's slow. It's so much slower than you want. I, I, I understand you think about this little group, though, in the upper room who pray, receive the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire, 3,000 people get saved, and they're probably like, I mean, at least within four weeks, we've probably taken over the palace, like, right? They're like, on the trajectory, trajectory we're at, we're going to take over the world. We're 300 years to win the Roman Empire. That's what it took them. 300 years, which in the economy of God is like that. But all the people who built those initial structures of the church, none of them got to see Constantine go into the waters and be baptized. None of them. But in the grand scheme of things, they, they won. That little group who started in Jerusalem, that little upper room, they conquered an empire through the slow, godly work of changing hearts. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And, and I mean, many of them changing hearts through being martyred. <laughs> in the arena. It's, it's wild. So the, the kingdom of God comes aimed at our hearts. And we need to hear this today because if we're not careful as Americans, we will trust in our resources. We'll trust in our power. We'll trust in our leadership capabilities, in our intellect, in our ingenuity. And we'll think that the kingdom of God comes through us, through us being so good at what we do or so um, aware of what's happening in the world. And, and John the Baptist shows up and says, repent, repent. So what's cool is when revival comes, when John shows up, repentance becomes a lifestyle, not just a single choice. 
It becomes a way of being, and and this is what I would describe as a soft-heartedness before the Lord. The church should be the softest people in the world. And and, and it's weird because at, at one point, the church should be like crazy resilient unto death and at the same time soft-hearted toward God. We're just at a moment's notice the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something in our life and we just fall apart. Oh, Isaiah's woe is me. <laughs> woe is me. Oh, I'm so sorry, God. Because what happens is when that repentance comes towards God and we get soft-hearted towards him, what happens is we get soft-hearted towards each other. And people should walk into the body of Christ today and go like, that is the most tender, loving, kind, merciful, gracious, compassionate group of human beings I've ever encountered. Wow. How does that happen? It happens through people being aware of divine reality. (laughs) It's like we have a window open to heaven. We know who God is. We know what he does. We're connected to him and it softens us. Repentance becomes a lifestyle. It's like we live in and through this this point of being willing to turn at any moment, right? We're like wherever Jesus goes, we're like on him. We're like a satellite (laughs) with a home station. We're like, all right, Jesus moved a little bit. There, there I am. There, there. You hear me? It's not like, oh, great. He went that way again. Now I got to repent again. I'm so tired of repenting. You're just like, oh, I just want to be in alignment with him. When he moves, I move. So this, this resurrection lifestyle, this kingdom of God, how do we live it, right? That's the key. It's is, is important to know what it is, but it's more important to experience it. It's just more important to understand how to live this out. And I think that's one of the hardest things as many of us have grown up in the church and we know all of the things and we have lived very little of it. Right? It would be like, I want to become a woodworker, carpenter's apprentice, and all I want to do is study the books and watch somebody else do it, and yet I never picked up a tool. Right? I never picked up a tool. I never learned how to do these things, and that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus has come and follow me, and guess what? Now I'm sending you out to do all the things you've seen me do. I've given you all power and authority to do in my name. Go and do those things. And he literally sends them out to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. Small assignment for their first, like, sending, right? He wasn't like, hey, man the soup kitchen lines, you know, do a little work here, there. Do that easy. He's like, no, no, no. You guys are going to go raise the dead. And what do they do? They went and did it. And they came back, and they're like, it worked. <laughs> I mean, I love how surprised they were. They're like, I literally didn't think this was going to work at all. And like, this happened. So Jesus says this resurrection life, right? This is key. So repentance not only is this lifestyle and opens us up to the kingdom, but it also prepares us to receive the Holy Spirit. This is the key to the entire Christian life, friends. And and I just want to say, if you grew up in a tradition where the Holy Spirit was not known or mentioned or glorified or loved or sought, I am so sorry. Because what you were given was a kingdom that could not be lived. It's like literally sending you to war with no machinery, (laughs) with no training, with no access to anything. It's, I mean, it's like playing basketball without a ball. That's what you are giving. So no wonder the Christian life sucks and the church is boring 
because you've removed the one person that God says, if you know him, if you allow him to live in you, if you'll listen to him, if you'll follow him, if you'll obey him, these things are possible. The kingdom of God, all these things I've done, Jesus says, even greater things will you do. Repentance prepares us to receive. It cleans us out. It opens us up. It humbles us, right? So humility is the entrance to the kingdom. You have to look at John the Baptist and say, he's so right. I don't know how to do this. I'll repent. And I'll just say, this gets harder the older you get. <laughs> the more set you get in your ways, you're like, oh man, I've got ch- I've to change again. But all of the godly people I know who finished their life radically in love with Jesus are all repentant people. They're all people who have kept short accounts with Jesus. They've stayed soft-hearted to him. They've been willing to change in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90. The most lovely woman I've ever met as a Christian was 88 years old. She did our staff retreat. I'm a youth pastor. I've never met anybody more on fire for Jesus than this sweet little missionary who's 88 years old. She's tiny and she's just like effusive with love for Jesus. Repentance prepares us to receive the Holy Spirit. So John says it. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than me. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. John, it's crazy. It says he actually received the Holy Spirit in the womb. <laughs> That's what Luke, Luke says. Luke tells the story. John, John the Baptist, he's like, literally, he got filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb, which is why when John's mother met Mary and Jesus is in the womb and he's in the womb, he leapt because if the Holy Spirit lives in you, anywhere where Jesus is present, you, 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 that's why at church, we, we, if the Holy Spirit's alive in us, if we're communing with him, if we have, have intimacy with him, when we come into the church and Jesus is praised, our spirits go, oh, I gotta, I gotta join, I've gotta do that, I've gotta, you like feel this sing inside of you because you were wired to worship. And the Holy Spirit who lives in you is, trying to get you to worship Jesus. We see this in Paul, right? Paul goes to uh, Ephesus. He found some disciples there and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Isn't that interesting? His first question for them. He's like, this is the most important thing for your life with Jesus. Have you received the Holy Spirit? And believe me, I know there's all sorts of controversy over what this means and what background you had and what kind of people you were taught to dislike in the church. And those are weirdos. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. But this is the Bible, friends. So this is God's word. This is Paul, his apostle. He shows up and says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And I love this. Some of you are like, this is the way I grew up. No, we have not even heard there was a Holy Spirit, right? (laughs) You're like, who hid this from me? What, what is this? And he says this. He says, John's baptism was for repentance. Super important. But repentance is what clears the way for you to receive the Holy Spirit. They are baptized in the name of Jesus. Paul laid on hands of them. They received the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There was a response there. There was a manifestation. Paul says this matters because the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. And in the New Testament, you see this, this quote from uh, Richard Lovelace, spiritual life is produced by the presence and empowering of the Holy Spirit, not simply by comprehension of doctrinal propositions or strategies, 
of renewal. And here's what I say. If you don't have intimacy with the Holy Spirit, what you will settle for is doctrine and strategy. You'll settle for knowing about God or knowing how to get people into a room to know about God. And Americans are really good at knowing how to get human beings into rooms to talk about God. What we need to get good at is knowing the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, my gift to you is the Holy Spirit, this person. And so people have asked us, why, why are we emphasizing the work of the Holy Spirit so much in this church in these days? Because it's a shift. We have had a massive shift in our church toward this. Um, and it's because if you read the New Testament, if you read the Bible, all of the Christian life is impossible without it. It's impossible. And most of your pain and difficulty in trying to live the Christian life is mostly because you've tried to do it without the third person of the Trinity. We've tried to do it without him. So what does the New Testament say? I just, I don't know if you can read those. They're small because there's so many. This is crazy. If you just go through the New Testament, Paul says, serve in the Holy Spirit, walk according to the Holy Spirit, set your minds on the Holy Spirit, put sin to death in the body by the Holy Spirit. You should be led by the Spirit of God. You receive the spirit of adoption from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness in you that you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit helps you and intercedes for you. You should walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. You should have revelation through the Holy Spirit, understanding of God, who God is through the Holy Spirit. You should be taught by the Holy Spirit, washed by the Holy Spirit, speak in the Holy Spirit, given manifestations stations of the Holy Spirit, utter mysteries. We should be walking around uttering mysteries. We're like, what is that guy talking to? You know people like that? They say stuff, you're like, I don't know what that was about, but it was cool. I don't, I, I, you just don't even understand. It's like, God is so mysterious beyond your comprehension. Friends, like, if you were to know God, see God, man, anyways, okay, so keep going. Where was I there? Utter mysteries, right? Stories, your story is written by the Holy Spirit. You carry the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You behold the face of God through the Holy Spirit. If you want to see God, your only option is through the Holy Spirit. Guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, your salvation. Walk by the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit again. Produce fruit. Fruity. <laughs> Guys, you produce fruity, not just fruit. <laughs> That's amazing. You live, I don't know what that means. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. I'm uttering mysteries right now. Everyone who has the Holy Spirit knows what that means. You live by the Holy Spirit. You sow and reap through the Holy Spirit. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Help by the Holy Spirit. Participate in the Holy Spirit. Worship by the Holy Spirit. You're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You're made alive in the Holy Spirit. God abides in us. So if you listen to Billy Patterson, abide in Christ. How do you do that? The Holy Spirit is the connector between your branch and the vine. That's how you abide. No truth of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies in and through us to the truth. And finally, Revelation says that it's possible in worship to be in the Spirit. I love it. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He doesn't just live in me. I was in him, and I saw a vision. I saw the Lord. How beautiful is that? And so what we fight to be a part of the kingdom of God is we fight daily against the flesh. (laughs) We have the flesh, and we have the Spirit. And so many of us are trying to fight the flesh with just crappy tools, things that don't work, willpower, knowledge. And Jesus is sitting here going like, I gave you the Holy Spirit. I gave you the Holy Spirit. 
to battle the flesh. What does that mean, right? So Galatians says this, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to this. Here's what the church should look like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Our goal every day is not to be perfect. It's to keep step with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus is in step with the principles and the priority of heaven. And he's saying, this is what I do. I was thinking and praying, and I was just like, man, I wish there was some way that I could encapsulate all of these things, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, all these things. If there's just one way that I could encapsulate it all in like one little picture, I wish there was some way that I could show everybody like what this looks like in real life. I just... Oh, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Every single thing on that list you can find on this app. And we carry it around in our pocket and we dabble in it like it's not dangerous. Like Satan isn't in the world seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. You literally carry an engine of envy in our pocket. The iPhone could be called a mammon machine. Its only purpose is to stir up desire in you to live for yourself, to promote yourself, to enjoy yourself, to seek first the kingdom of man. And maybe God gets thrown in through some other works you do. And here's what I'll say. You'll know how attached you are to things of the world by how you react when somebody challenges you to give them up. Right? It's like, ah, I don't have a drinking problem. I don't have a drinking problem. I'll give it up for six months. Ah, that's religious. Legalism. Ah, it's just not in the Bible. It's fine. You know, one of the best things that happened to me, I became a youth pastor. So I, I, I grew up in kind of the holiness movement. So when I became a Christian, I was like, Christians don't drink. I was 19 anyways. I'd already drank enough by then to take time, some time off. <laughs> Pastor's kid. So it's like 19, I stopped drinking. I literally, my buddy got married and we're like, we're youth pastors, last time we have a chance. So we like bought a six pack and smoked a cigar when I was like 21. He's not here this morning. He's actually been coming to church here because we're like, this is our last chance. And I think we cussed a little bit and they were like, all right, it's done. <laughs> and, um, and we go into ministry, but it, the best thing that ever happened to me was being a youth pastor where I had to sign a document that said I would not drink. And I just abstained for al- from alcohol for nine years. Just nine years without a drop. And so I know beyond a shadow of doubt, my life, alcohol has no grip on my heart. Because I've lived without it. I've lived without it. So the question is, what, what are the things in our lives that stir up the flesh? And what are the things in our lives that stir up the Holy Spirit? And how do we give more and more and more of our life to the things that stir up the Holy Spirit in us? Because once we do that, we will lose our taste for the world. We'll lose our taste for the world. It won't even be willpower to give something up. You'll just be like, I tasted that again. It's like, ah, just didn't do it for me anymore. 
I don't even like the taste of it. So here's the thing. You cannot live in the kingdom of God except by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God comes from the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. Right? I just want to think about that, that movement and that rhythm, the, the trinity from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, each playing their role to perfection in perfect harmony with no jealousy or competition or dissension or envy or strife between them. Isn't that beautiful? So I thought of one other way. So this, this is what I see. It's like repentance on one side, the kingdom of God's on the other side, and the Holy Spirit is the hinge that swings the door open, gives us access. Without him, all you have is a closed door and dreams of a future life someday beyond this one. But the Holy Spirit opens wide the door of the kingdom of God and says, here and now you can have all that I have. You can have the Father and the Son and the life everlasting now. So one person said, I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to sing revival. I love this definition. It is the expanding of God's kingdom and a liberating warfare against the forces of darkness in which the most important battleground is the hearts of men. Revival is the expanding of God's kingdom in liberating warfare against the forces of darkness. That's what we're about here. We want to see the kingdom of God expand, and we want to see the forces of darkness retreat. We want to see Jesus' fame and glory great on the earth in our generation. Habakkuk 3 says, Lord, we've heard of your fame and deeds. Renew them in our day. Do it again, Lord. The things that you did through John the Baptist, do it again, maybe in different clothes, different diet, right? I don't know about all that stuff, but like, God, do what you did again, that we would have like just streams of people flooding churches in our city wanting to know God, wanting to repent. So what does this look like? Just real practically, I'll just say this. It looks like repentance, lifestyle, but today you might have something in your life that you just feel like, I need to turn from this thing. If I, if I think about what this thing in my life cultivates, it, it cultivates the flesh, you need to turn. Or it might be your entire life. You might be, you know, where you're in a place where you're like, man, I just need an entire life swap. Like, that's it. The good thing is Jesus said it's literally as easy as turning to me. Turn and face me and follow me. So what do we do? We repent, then we receive the Holy Spirit. This morning is a morning for you to receive the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that was just Acts 19. I believe it's today. I believe you can ask and receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know what that looks like every time. It looks different for other people. And I don't really care about what the manifestation is. What I care about is the reality that you will know that the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you're a Christian, he already lives in you. But Paul says there's something about knowing he lives in me that changes my entire perspective of being. That God, very God, dwells in me. And then what do we do? We run after the kingdom of God. What are the things of the kingdom? We run after them. So stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we love you. I'm so thankful for John the Baptist, for this forerunner who prepared the way. Thank you for his example and calling people to repentance. Lord, we want today to be repentant people. We want repentance as a lifestyle where we're so tuned into you. We're so soft-hearted that you can say anything to us and we'll respond in obedience. 
So Lord, I pray today that you would speak by your Holy Spirit what areas in our life that we might need to turn from, that we might need to give up, that we might need to walk away from, Lord. Because we don't want to be found in the flesh in these days. We want to be found in the spirit. We want this body, this family called Skyline to be full of love and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Lord, we want these things to be reality in our lives, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our businesses. We want to know the kingdom of God in the here and now. Holy Spirit, we just give you permission right now to search us, search our thoughts, search our motives, search our calendars, search our finances, search our entertainment, search everything about our life and speak. Holy Spirit, would you speak right now? Spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak, so we need you to speak. We need your voice over our lives. And in that, would you bring courage that leads to obedience? Courage to say yes. So here's what we know. We know that we have a good Father who gives good gifts. Would you approach him this morning with expectation that you are on his mind? And it's okay to ask, Father, what do you have for me this morning? I know it's good. Just pray all these things in Jesus' name.